Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Smell and with me is Jonathan Wilson and with us is David Jones, presenter of Super Sunday and Monday Night Football on Sky Sports. David was formerly on the board at Oxford United but is currently on the board at Sunderland. David, pleasure to have you on the pod. It's lovely to be here. I feel I'm in great awe in this kind of podcast uh, celebrity world that I'm in with with not just the great Jonathan Wilson, but also you, Marcus. I'm humbled. Oh, you're far too kind. David, what I'm pleased about is that for the first time I think ever on this podcast, I'm the one who's mentioned Sunderland first rather than Jonathan. <laughs> before, before either of us, which is yeah. quite a strange thing, really. <laughs> well, the, uh, well the, the last time we did a show together was, I think it was uh, Chris Powell and uh, John Collins were on with us. And I remember we bored the shit out of them for about half an hour before we actually went on. Talking about Sunderland 1, Southampton 1 from October 1982, uh-huh. which by coincidence was the first game either of us ever went to. My goodness. Isn't that bizarre? Isn't mm. that just bizarre? And if I'm, <laughs> if memory serves well, Jonathan, we got a free ticket from the manager, uh, obviously because uh, my, my dad knew the manager at the time and I sat mm. in the director's box, and you got a free ticket because you bunked in. Is that right? Uh, yeah. we. My, well, the thing my dad used to do was 20 minutes to go, you, when they opened the gates to let people out. You just go and hang around. So I missed Ali McCoist giving Sunderland the lead with a what he would call an overhead kick. A sort of hook from about six yards. But I saw Steve Williams' as equaliser, which is pretty much the way it's been ever since. Yeah. I don't think I saw either goal. I was <laughs> I was just too busy looking at the crowd, sort of, you know, wow, all these people making lots of noise. That was that was pretty amazing to me. Yeah. Well we should say that we, we aren't doing a Sunderland game, as you mentioned there, David, and we're certainly not doing that one. Because today we're going back uh, to an FA Cup semi final in April nineteen ninety seven at Old Trafford that finished Chesterfield three, Middlesbrough three. A great game, David. Why have you chosen this one? It feels a bit random, doesn't it? Given mm. that it's a such a long time ago, b it doesn't involve Sunderland, and it's c not a game that I covered with Sky. I think when um, I had a little look back at some of the games that you'd done, and I did in, very much enjoy um, a podcast or an, an episode that you did on Sunderland and mm. Sunderland four Chelsea one, which I would have to say would probably be yeah, it was probably one of my peaks as a Sunderland fan. So that was gone. Mm. So where else did I look for a Sunderland game? And the next obvious one would have been Sunderland 4, West Ham 3, which uh, Jonathan will remember as the Kieran Brady game, which I went to as a 14-year-old, I think I was. I stood in the Roker end for that one. But then I thought, well, um, I could do a Sky game. And, And the problem I have with that is I've been doing live games for Sky for... Uh, probably more than 10 years and they all just blur and, and there's just a haze where where sort of work is involved and then and then suddenly this one came as a bolt from the blue as a as one of the first big occasions I probably ever went to although I did go to the FA Cup semi-final in 1992 at Hillsborough Sunderland beating Norwich 1-0 this was this was a bit of a, um, an amazing game wasn't it in, in mm. terms of FA Cup history in terms of Chesterfield's history and Middlesbrough's and for me it was it's it's sort of so um, fresh in my mind in so many ways because it was you know the first big game that I'd been working on really as a reporter and 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 I should sort of add that I was at the Derbyshire Times in Chesterfield at the time I was a news reporter so I had really nothing to do with the sports department at all but when this FA Cup run started to build, we had this this one lovely guy called Drew Jarvis who worked on the sports desk and he knew I was a mad keen football fan. 
And as as this the run started to build, he started to say, "Well, can you cover this game and can you help me with this?" And and it was just great fun being part of that. And and that sort of snowballed as the run went on, to the point where I was, I suppose, a, a vital part of the Derbyshire Times team, mm-hmm. making the trek across the the Pennines for this game at Old Trafford on my twenty third birthday, almost twenty four <laughs> years to the day. Amazing. And I had uh, glandular fever as well. Oh. So so it all sort of merges into this lovely, <laughs> hazy memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jonathan, I mean, it, it, as, as David said, you know, he was on the news team and, and was asked to cover it because this story of Chesterfield reaching the semi-final, it almost sort of transcended football in, in, in this country for, for that short period because no third-tier side has ever reached an FA Cup final and they were so close. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, they probably got as close as, as any third-tier side ever had done. Mm. I mean, um, Plymouth had got there, I think, as a third-tier side in 84, got to the semi and had lost to Watford. I think Millwall had got there in 37, had lost to Sunderland. Uh, but, you know, a third-tier side getting that far was an incredible achievement. And the odd thing is that in their quarter-final, they played another third-tier side. Mm. And, you know, they beat Wrexham. So once that draw being made, there's always going to be a third-tier side there. and. Yeah, the other the other thing about this game, but I mean, certainly I felt. I don't know if um, if you felt it as well. But as a Sunderland fan, I desperately want a Middlesbrough to win this because Middlesbrough were involved in every competition this season, and they were scrapping with Sunderland uh, against relegation from from a Premier League. <laughs> so my thinking was keep them involved in as many things as possible, and we might mm. finish above them. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't really say this, Jonathan, but my main rivalry as a football fan growing up was Middlesbrough because I grew up. Uh, five miles from Middlesbrough so all my friends were were Middlesbrough fans and there was an intense rivalry whenever we played them I remember going to a pre-season game once at Ayrson Park in and I stood in the old gate with some Middlesbrough mates watching Sunderland and it was the sort of uh, Lee Howie up front era if that dates it for you Jonathan they they, they uh, were dark days (laughs) well yeah I think we got a pasting I think we got a pasting and all my mates were around me. There was a pitch invasion. It all kicked off. It was a pre-season friendly. And my mates stood around me shouting, can you run, can you run, can you run to all the Sunderland fans? And I'm standing there going, well, I, I don't know where this is going to go after the game. <laughs> I'm not sure how I'm going to get home in one piece. <laughs> so, so yes, Middlesbrough was the big rivalry. But but the, the glandular fever bit of this story is significant because I actually was was sent home from the paper for I think six weeks or something like that. So I was sent back to North Yorkshire, uh, Teesside, and uh, as as this run sort of went on, I have a very blurry memory of the Forest game. I don't think I was in Chesterfield at the time of that one. That was the fifth round. But I I got in touch with the paper and said, look, you, you, why don't we do a pullout and I'll do the Middlesbrough angle on this. So I went to the Middlesbrough. I went to um, the Riverside. Then they'd moved by then. And did sort of pen picks on all these these amazing players that that Chesterfield are going to be coming up against, and and um, managed to do a few interviews and stuff down there. I've actually got it somewhere. I was having a, a dig around looking for it um, for my boy the other day. I couldn't find it. Um, so yeah, I was bringing the Middlesbrough angle, and actually in the press box at Old Trafford, I remember I, I had friends in the industry, uh, a big mate of mine I used to play cricket with, um, who was a big Middlesbrough fan, and you know I was jumping up and down in the press box. Because Middlesbrough were losing, <laughs> and and this team that I'd sort of growing in association with Chesterfield were were doing this extraordinary thing. 
Mm. Uh, we should say, by the way, um, anybody who's, who's wondering, Sunderland did finish above Middlesbrough in the league that year. And we both went down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather have their team than ours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the other extraordinary thing about this game is, is, mm. the, is the Middlesbrough side of things. That yeah, absolutely. Their, their growth, the fact that you know, 10 years earlier they'd been on the brink of bankruptcy, they'd been locked out of their ground, and there they are moving into what at the time felt like, you know, a a state-of-the-art new stadium. I mean, the Riverside was was the first of the new new wave of stadiums. Um, in fact, I think that season the Premier League or Premiership, as it was then, theirs was the newest stadium, and Selhurst Park was the second newest, built in 1927. Wow, flipping! So, um, you know, they, they really felt like they were on the brink of something new and something big. And you know, Steve Gibson coming as chairman, but the, the, it wasn't just the players they had. It wasn't just the fact that they got Ravenelli and Janino and Emerson. It was they were being linked with unbelievable players. I mean, uh, Paul Ince I think was quite strongly linked. Uh, Batistuta was linked, and if they had stayed up, I mean, maybe they wouldn't have got Batistuta, but they'd have got other mm-hmm. big name players. Even if Ravenelli had, had still left, he obviously had mm-hmm. begun to fall out with people by the end of the season. But there was there was the the, the money there and a the potential there mm-hmm. for Middlesbrough to become a serious force. And you 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 always look back to. So that game just before Christmas, when they didn't go to Blackburn, mm. when they had the the virus ran through the squad, and they they decided not to go and end up getting docked three points. And if they'd mm. gone and lost anything up to seven nil, they'd have stayed up. Yeah, I mean that that season in or that period in Middlesbrough history is quite remarkable, as you say. And and they were a very entertaining side to watch, David. You know, they would score a lot of goals and they would concede a lot of goals. And this match was no exception. Very entertaining, especially when they lost. You know. Uh, four three five threes all this sort of stuff but I, I i really remember the the 1986 the period you're talking about jonathan that was from the the local news you know tiny t's news followed that story really closely of that i remember the gates being being locked yeah that's the, the famous that image of, isn't it the the slightly yeah. rusting gates with the padlock on yeah and and the team that emerged from that actually i have i have affection for because it was a great team put together of young kids who then under Bruce Rioch really flourished. Gosh, I'm sounding like a Middlesbrough fan now, aren't I? <laughs> but, you know, the, I can still name most of that team, actually, from, from that period and was dragged along to some games with with friends in that uh, that time because I couldn't actually get to Sunderland without um, parental permission or parental lifts by that point. <laughs> so, yeah, so I had a lot of affection for them. And, and then we sort of saw their their sort of growth and expansion, as you say, under Steve Gibson. And then it became a bit of jealousy, I suppose. And, and you saw it being rubbed in your face that all these great stars. You talk about the ones they didn't have, but but with Ravenelli, mm. Janino, Emerson. I mean, every pretty much every position was either a, a foreign star or, or someone of a, a exceptional talent. It's a bit of a mystery, really, how they managed to get themselves in, in such a mess because they had such good cup form. Because I think this season they got to the League Cup final as well, didn't they? That's yeah, right, they lost yeah. to Leicester in the League Cup final, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which was a replay as well, I think. You know, I think it was extra time yes. in the replay when there was that... Uh, was it Matt Elliott's header? It was a late goal from Heskey, I think. When they was it Heskey? Okay. Or it might have been. I forget now, but it was certainly a late equaliser from Leicester. But with, with Ravenelli, I mean, not to dwell too much on it, you can forget he won the Champions League with Juventus, and then it, it was very shortly after that that Middlesbrough signed him. Um, or, or, or yeah, the, the, he was he was knocking around certainly in, in latter stages of the Champions League. It wasn't as if it was to finish his career as a thirty-five-year-old. Oh, no, yeah, like he that. was. What was he like? Late twenties at this point, or maybe mm. very early thirties. But yeah, I, mean, I think maybe that was the problem—the the disconnect between players of you know Champions League pedigree 
and then you know decent local players, people like Steve Vickers or mm-hmm. um, uh, who else in that side, Robbie Musto, you know, perfectly good players, but clearly players who would never dream of playing in the in, in the Champions League. Maybe that that disconnect meant they were less than some of their parts. Well, and the other I, thing I think, that had that seed on was the goalkeeper, wasn't it, Jonathan? Um, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure how it happened that Ben Roberts came to be their, their FA Cup goalkeeper, but I think he only played, I, I checked this earlier, I think he played 16 times for Middlesbrough, but he played uh, the FA Cup semi-finals, he played the FA Cup final, I think he played the League Cup final as well, and then went on, on this sort of globe-trotting career that ended, I think he's now a coach at Brighton, I just read, mm. as their goalkeeping coach, um, went off and, and finished football quite early and, and did education and things like that, but if if Schwartz had been in goal, I think this is might this might have been a very different story on the day as well. It might yeah. well have been. And and you're with the with the big name players. I mean, Janino obviously fell in love with the area and was mm. was devastated by the relegation and everything. But Ravinelli clearly never settled. And I mean, Emerson had had his long period, you know, six eight weeks something like that. And he'd gone back to Brazil. And the that extraordinary interview with his wife. I don't know if you remember that, where she described oh, that's that. right. Yeah. She described Teesside as a strange, dark place. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I do remember that. Jonathan, would you disagree with her? Um, my 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 mum's side of the family are from Teesside, so I'm not knocking Teesside. Okay, fair enough. Te- Teesside's a fascinating place, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's still home, and I didn't appreciate it as much until I until I left it. And mm-hmm. you know, if you if you go two miles out of Middlesbrough. South, you, you you effectively you've got beautiful beaches mm-hmm. and you've got the North Yorkshire Moors, which is as stunning as anywhere in the country, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be fair, Jonathan, actually, you've you've you introduced me to some of the the local uh, sights and and sounds and smells of Sunderland and and on the coast, and I genuinely was quite impressed, I have to say. So I should. I took you. I took you to an oyster restaurant in Sunderland. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was lovely. I I, yeah. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was about twenty eight degrees. It was the hottest day we've had in about thirty years. But yeah, my mind. I, I, feel like I feel like we're going on a tangent here, but yeah. I have to say <laughs> that the beaches in Sunderland are as in, yeah. some of the most impressive beaches you'll get in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Don't really tell honestly. people. I would like keep them to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, all right, then, gentlemen. I suppose now's a good time to have a break. Uh, we'll be back in a moment, everybody, to talk about the match itself. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. Um, so we talked a bit about Middlesbrough there, uh, uh, gentlemen. What about Chesterfield themselves? They'd gone out in the first round of the League Cup, also went out in the first round of the Auto Windscreen Shield that season. So they weren't a cup side, David, I think it's fair to I, say. That is fair to say, yeah. Yeah, and they would finish 10th in the league as well. So it wasn't as if this was a side who were romping the the third tier. You know, they, they were almost playing as as a second tier side, if, if you will. Um, ostensibly at least none of that's true this this really did come out of the blue I have a vague memory that they were better than their league position I would mm-hmm. say that and and I think the games because they're involved in this this cup run so deep I think the games ended up stacking up quite a bit mm-hmm. and had a couple of others called off for bad weather so there was a, there was certainly a time when you felt that they were going to push on for promotion and then of course they just ran out of steam towards the back end of the season mm-hmm. but it was unusual and I do remember when I worked on the newspaper, that uh, it was it was quite fun when they beat Berry in the first round, you know, because this was was this was not a sort of you know a guarantee, and then getting Scarborough, which I think was quite a a kind draw at home as well in round two. Well, you say and, the first round, there's none of this coming in in the third round business. First round, that's where they started. So right? November or yeah, you know, whenever that was, uh, yeah, it must be probably November, I think, is it? Mm-hmm. And then yeah, round two, and then and then you're in the hat for round three and get mm-hmm. Bristol City, and and it wasn't the Bristol City of now. This was a different Bristol City then, but still, um, I think that that was a home as well. And I think it was after that 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 
really the town started to get interested. Now I had a, where I lived in Chesterfield was actually at Saltergate. I lived in a, in a road called Compton Street, which backed onto Salter, Saltergate and had something in common with Bob Wilson, actually, the, the legendary Bob Wilson. Is he, he used to watch games at Chesterfield as a, as a kid or, or sort of as a teenager from his girlfriend's bedroom. And from my bedroom, I could see a third of the pitch. <laughs> so I could see the, the far stand side. I could see the, the, the dugouts and mm. I could see sort of a, that third of the pitch. But if I climbed out of my window and onto my flat roof, then I could see pretty much the whole ground. Amazing. So, so my formative years as a as a reporter on the Derbyshire Times, I was regularly on my roof um, practicing <laughs> commentary of Chesterfield matches, which was quite difficult given I didn't really know any of the players. <laughs> Pre-internet <So>. <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, incredible. Well, I mean, that's so. Yeah, they beat Bristol City in the in the third round. They beat Bolton away. In the fourth round, and I think you mentioned the Forest. Uh, in the well, fifth that was the round. Kevin Davis game, the Bolton mm-hmm. away. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so he's got a hat trick in that game, mm-hmm. and then then it sort of his his sort of reputation just went on another level. Then he was he was known as a very talented player. Mm-hmm. He was, I think, he would not normally play right wing, and uh, wasn't this. I suppose he was quite well built, but he was a, he was a young kid, and he was he was tricky winger. And one of the goals he scored in that game, I think, he ran most of the length of the the opposition half to score. Um, and, and really, it was after that that his reputation really started to grow. Mm-hmm. I think the Forest game, actually, I, I was there and I think I was in the, I went behind the goal for that game. But that was, that was a Premier League Forest side, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an impressive run up until that point, of course, because the only goals they had conceded uh, were against Bolton away from home. You know, there was two nils and and one nils, so they were they were quite solid in that uh, tournament up until then. I mean, how how um, important was John Duncan, the man from Dundee, in charge of the side of, of Chesterfield? Because he seemed quite a character in some of the interviews before and certainly after the FA Cup semi final. Really interesting guy, John, and very smart guy. I bumped into him at a dinner last or the year before last, the year before normal. Um, mm-hmm. and he's he's actually still in the game, but he came out of management quite early. I think he's he works for the LMA around referees. So he was telling me he was he was on very much on the referee side, and he was he was asking me about how we portray referees on Sky and things like that. And we got in quite a uh, deep conversation about it all. But a really interesting guy, smart cookie, very pragmatic. I remember watching some of the 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 league games, um, and then sort of growing, growing this interest in his tactical side of things. I'm starting to sound a bit Jonathan now, but um, <laughs> I, I remember, uh, was it the Forest game? It might have been the Forest game or the Bristol City game. It probably was the Forest game when I when I remember noticing that they didn't make a tackle, Chesterfield. Mm. Did not make a tackle in, in the sort of, until they got to the edge of their box. So that is what I guess we call now a very low block. Mm-hmm. And I remember speaking to him about it uh, we went bizarrely. I ended up going for an Indian, um, going to an Indian restaurant with him, and a couple of other journalists. as a bit of a get to know you session, and he was really uh, good company. As was Kevin Randall, his assistant, who very sadly is no longer with us. And uh, he was he was talking about the fact that if if we do that, if we make a tackle, say around the halfway line or even halfway into our own half. And and we don't we're not successful in that tackle. Then we're a man down mm. in our defence. So we don't do it. We don't engage until they get to the edge of our in the edge of our box, uh, which which was a tactic that served him served him very well. But but you know it was pretty direct stuff. It was it was find Andy Morris, big fella up front if you can, 
and, and play off him. They had pace with Davis and, and a guy called John Howard, who I think played from the left largely. And they were the, the outstanding talents really in the team. Mm. I mean, Jonathan, what did you think of Middlesbrough under Brian Robson in, in, in terms of their tactics and so on? I mean, we know the players that they had, but what about Robson himself as a manager? Um, I think at this stage, I still sense them as being quite promising. I mean, and even mm-hmm. this time at West Brom, there was, there was a period when he looked like he, he might be a, a future England manager. Um, but it, I, I sort of think that this, just this mix of players was really, really hard to manage, that the expectations and the level... The 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 you know the difference between a, a Robbie Musto and a Janino are vast in in what you can do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the other thing about this this Chesterfield side, a lot of the time when you when you see a team that goes on an unexpected cup run, you realise that three or four of those players go on to do great things later. That they you know they they've got a group of good young players together. You look at this team. And okay, you've got Kevin Davis, who obviously goes on to Southampton and Bolton and, and you know, has a great career. You've got Mark Williams, who plays for Watford and Wimbledon, but not a sort of, not a name that, I mean, he's certainly not even the most famous Mark Williams, is he? He's not even the second most famous Mark Williams. He's not a snooker player and he's not an actor. He's, he's possibly... Well, he, he, did marry, he did marry Lindsay Dore McKenzie. There you go. Oh, I mean, so those are facts. Quite famous. Yeah. Okay, the third most famous Mark Williams <laughs> that I can think of. <laughs> Uh, and you've got Sean Dyche, obviously. But apart from that, they're, they're sort of... Mm. I mean, a lot of those players, when I, was, when I was looking through them today, a lot of them played sort of 200, 300 games for Chesterfield. They mm. were... This this was sort of their one moment. Um, and I guess that's that's where these couple of ones can be so so special. They do just come out of nowhere. But yeah. I think the two players you mentioned actually are integral to the story. And particularly Sean Dyche. I mean, John Duncan certainly had a, a quiet, calming influence. But Sean Dyche was the leader of this side. You know, I think you could see it whenever t- whenever you watch Chesterfield. He was the organiser at the back. He was the one you could hear speaking. He wasn't as hoarse then, incidentally. Uh, he sounded slightly different back then, but he was still very much the same character who would mm-hmm. a bit of a school teacher. You know, speak to people who have played with him, and they would say he was always the noisy one in the dressing room, always organising, always mm-hmm. cajoling. So I think that that was a really integral part of this team. Well, it's mm-hmm. interesting that he took the penalty. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know more details than this, but on the commentary they said it was his first goal for four years. I so think they Mark- didn't have a penalty taker. Right. And it, it, if you actually look at the uh, the extended footage of it, which I did the other day, you can actually see John Duncan on the sideline going Deitch, yeah. Deitch yeah. from the sideline as soon as they win the penalty. So it's, he's the man who's got to step up and take it. And I, I'm not sure he ever took one before that. But it's still mm. fascinating that the, the, the captain should be the man to say, look, I'll take this responsibility. You know, I, I'll, I'll take this on myself. And then he... It's the most Sean Dyche penalty imaginable. I didn't have to. I didn't have to to watch it to know what he's going to do. He's going to smash it straight down the middle as yeah. as Ben Roberts dived out, dived out the way. Yeah, but I tell you though, it's interesting. You talk about um, John Duncan's tactics, David, about this. You know, as you say nowadays, people might call it a low block because you could imagine someone like Dyche really wanting to get stuck in, and it shows you the discipline of his side that they kind of bought into uh, into into doing that. Which, as I say, you could imagine him sort of leaping out of defence and putting in tackles and, and so on and so forth. Well, I think he um, tried to do that a little bit, but he, unfortunately on the, he, in this occasion he was up against Ravinelli yes. and Janine. <laughs> Maybe he was on his heels a bit, yeah, true enough. <laughs> um, well, it, I, I found this interesting, some quotes from some of the, the, 
Chesterfield players who played that day at Old Trafford. Uh, the goalkeeper uh, was Billy Mercer. And he said two days before the match, the team were offered a tour of Old Trafford. But they all agreed that look, we're not making up the numbers here. So they declined the offer. And they said, no, th- th- this idea that, oh, we should just be so happy to be here. I mean, yes, of course, there were feelings of, my goodness, this is this is great. But they did try and kind of knuckle down and use the... the, the um, I, you could say patronising tone or defeatist tone of the press to, to motivate them in this game. Do you know what, Marcus? That's not true. Is it not? No. And, I, <laughs> I, I, and I've, I've, seen the, I've seen the quotes from Billy Mercer. Uh-huh. Billy Mercer was injured uh, right. in the build-up to the game. So mm-hmm. he was back at Chesterfield, I think, having yeah. his... Uh, he, he had some uh, rib problem. He had, I think, oh. he broken his ribs. So you're going to tell me that he was giving tours at Old Trafford to make up for the- <laughs> <laughs> every other player. I'm sh- pretty sure every other player was on a tour, and and even even more than that, there was a camera mm-hmm. from Yorkshire TV that filmed it, which you can yeah, see yeah. on YouTube. And and they actually, Sean Dyche was talking about it mm. because some guy that was there, I think, ran Stadium Tours. Obviously, thought, oh, this this little lot wants a nice little guided tour, and ended up giving them an, an extensive tour of the stadium <laughs> from like a Manchester United perspective. So this was Captain So and So, and he did this in 1933, and all this sort of stuff. And and they felt extraordinarily patronised by the whole experience. <laughs> so but clearly, but clearly, the limo didn't get to Billy. Poor old Billy was left behind. Well, the other thing with Billy Mercer is that he'd been at Hillsborough as a fan in '89. I think he was on Liverpool's books at the time, but wasn't in the squad. And he'd been in the upper tier of the Leppings Lane end. Wow. So, I mean, I don't know don't know to what extent it would even occur to him, but his previous experience of a semi-final was as horrific as it gets. Hmm. True enough. I think it's, yeah, I, th- I think though, David, what you're saying there is they probably went for the tour and they had a lovely old time. And Billy said, how'd you get on? Oh, yeah, no, we were just sat in the hotel room. Do it. <laughs> That's probably what it is. And I've come along and seen and seen that interview with Billy Mercer and gone, oh, well, that must be the story. So I'm glad you're here to correct um, uh, Billy and myself, who uh, would appear. Um, so the game um, uh, kicks off at Old Trafford. And, and Jonathan, it's a, it's a typical kind of, I suppose, FA Cup semi-final type of affair that you want. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the weather is conducive for playing football. There's huge noise in the stadium. Uh, but the favourites, overwhelming favourites, were Middlesbrough for this game. Oh, understandably so. And, and the, you know, the way that first sort of half hour or so went, they completely lived up to that. And I guess maybe that's in part the, the low block that Chesterfield were playing. But even just watching the highlights, it feels like relentless Middlesbrough pressure. Mm. It was that Janino chance that he, he puts just over early on. Um, uh, Mikkel Beck hooks one just wide at the back post. So, I mean, the game could have been over in the first 20 minutes. And then really everything changes with what's a very good break from Chesterfield. Uh, the Dyche plays it forward quickly. Uh, Andy Morris sort of helps it around the corner out to Kevin Davis on, on that right-hand side. And he gets pulled back by um, uh, by Kinder. Vladimir Kinder, mm. who'd already been booked. And yeah, this is the clearest yellow card you'll ever see. And, and David Ellery quite rightly sends him off. Yeah. Kinder looked surprised, David, at the the yellow card or the second yellow card. But I mean, it's funny you talk about the Kevin Davis being this sort of jinky winger. I mean, you see it in that footage where he outpaces him, and and it's it's a clear sending off. I mean, it's a professional foul. He was a strong boy as well, Kevin Davis. So as soon as he got in front of him, there was no way that he was going to haul him back. I think he's probably a bit surprised by that. But 
that that sort of I remember raised the decibel level in the stadium because this is as you say it's, this is not an ordinary state of affairs. This is Old Trafford, I think, before before renovation. So fifty thousand, I think, and and twenty five thousand of them were, were Chesterfield. And to put that in context, the average gate was probably five thousand at Chesterfield. So you know it was literally half the town that were there, and and so people who didn't have any faint interest but just lived there were were, were going. So this was. A most extraordinary atmosphere, you know, that sort of raucous, very much a, an FA Cup semi-final feeling, not not like a Premier League match that, that might be a little bit subdued. So when that red card happened, I think there was just a realisation that, yes, he had been under the cosh for the first however long in the game, but there's an opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, it's... It- Mildly similar, if you if you indulge me for a moment, chaps. When uh, Fulham were playing Juventus at Craven Cottage and they won that game four one, uh, people can forget that um, Cannavaro was sent off in the first half of that game. But when that happens, you go, "Hang on a minute here." Still a big job on 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 on, on their hands, of course. But uh, it, suddenly the realization is, "Hang on, it's we're still nil nil. They haven't scored, uh, and they're down to ten men." Um, I don't think. Much happened for the for the rest of the half off, off the top of my off the top of my head. It was maybe a little bit more Middlesbrough pressure, but really this game just came alive in the second half, uh, and and we were treated to the first goal after fifty four minutes with uh, was it Andy Morris uh, David who who probably won't score an easier goal in his whole career. He was a real character, a real figurehead for the team as well, and and actually on the back of this, I think it was he started writing a, a newspaper column for the Derbyshire Times every week, fifty quid a week job. And it needed a bit of work when it came in from Andy, but bless him. But he had some lovely ideas and was a real hero to the Chesterfield fans. And this was about his distance, I think, probably two or three yards. <laughs> yeah, that's where he was. You know, if you look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin this season, yeah, he's scoring it. his goals from in that sort of area. And uh, yeah, that, that suited Andy just fine. But um, <laughs> let, let's think about this. So the ball came in and Kevin Davis sort of hooked it on, didn't he? And Ben Roberts sort of couldn't keep it out. And it, and it just trickled into to Andy's path and yeah it was it was also probably you know think about a third tier side playing an FA Cup semi-final mm. I think before or since there would never be a cooler celebration yes in an FA Cup semi-final either he just walked off didn't he yeah there was no I don't think barely raised an arm it was just yeah he seemed to have a little chat with the, with the Chester fans as if to say, yeah, don't worry, I was going to do that. That's easy peasy, 1-0, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then his yeah. teammates came over. But I mean, that was, I think, the Chesterfield fans behind the goal and the vast majority of the country were trying to suck that ball into the goal for them because they had overwhelming, uh, you know, support from, from neutrals, as you'd expect, Jonathan. And it's, it's one of those great, as a fan, one of those great goals because mm. you know for... Well, a second, but it feels like it went much longer than a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it, it, yeah, there's no way it can't be a goal. Mm. Uh, so from a moment, you know, Kevin Davis is, is stretching slightly. I think it's Howard's ball in. Davis is stretching slightly. He doesn't get a full contact on it. But Roberts pushes it out, and yeah, you, you can see the whole thing. The ball just rolling into into Morris's path. The fact he's onside. The fact that he, I mean, basically as long as he touches it, it's going to go in. There's no way he can miss that. And so you hear the sort of there's almost a two stage cheer. There's the cheer as people realise this must be a goal, and then the cheer of yes, this mm-hmm. is a goal. So it's a bit like um, I don't want to always bring it back to Sunderland, but it Here is a go. bit like G's goal against Manchester City on New Year's oh, Day yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when it, yeah he he sort of bundles round um, who is it? Is it Joe Hart? Probably must be Joe, Joe Hart. Hart. Yeah, goes round Joe Hart, and, and suddenly it's the last minute. It's in, you know, it's injury time, 
and he's three yards out with the whole goal. And you think, even a Sunderland striker can't miss this. <laughs> and the, yeah, so you knew that Morris was going to score. And I think as fans, they're the goals you, you most appreciate because you can sort of appreciate them twice. Yeah, absolutely. And 1-0 went to 2-0 sort of fairly quickly, David, only six minutes later. Um, and as I'm saying this, my memory fails me. Um, was it, this was is the penalty, Davis? wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't Davis that won it, was it? No, it was it was it oh, was it Morris, was... and that's the surprising oh, element to it, really. Yes, that's right. Because because he gets played through, and you're thinking, well, the defender's going to just nip in front of him and take mm-hmm. the ball away. But but somehow Andy Morris finds this this yes. other extra gear, which I I wasn't sure that he had, mm-hmm. and and then performs this lovely little pirouette over Ben Roberts. That <laughs> again, you, you don't know where he's pulled that one from. Mm. Watching a lot of um, Sky Sports probably and, and match the day, and <laughs> yeah, and and then it's bizarre territory of penalty. Yeah, I mean, it was the goalkeeper seemed quite surprised uh, by the penalty decision, Jonathan. Did you do, agree with David Ellery's decision? Oh, yeah, I mean, the only question is, should it have been a red card? No, I mm. think it probably should have been. I, I, I was trying he's to get away from goal slightly. Oh, he's he's, he's eight yards out. Yeah. <laughs> You know, All I'm it, saying it's not the worst decision Ellery made that day. Well, I, I, I sort of... <laughs> it's in the top in the top five. <laughs> well, I was just trying to remember if there'd been any sort of change to the to the last man legislation, hmm. but in, you know, that's long, long before the, the double jeopardy law, and oh, yeah. it's a really clumsy foul. I think I think it probably should have been another a second red card. I mean, maybe the fact that Middlesbrough were already down to ten, Ellery didn't want to send off another one. Um, I don't Can think you it was cynical. If he had, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's two nil last be game over, then, isn't it? Yeah, two two nil, and I mean, Middlesbrough had already brought on one sub, and they brought on Blackmore for Mikkel Beck, so they had one sub left, so they could have brought a keeper on. But so they could, I don't know if Schwartz was on the bench, whether they could have brought Schwartz. No, on, I think he but... was cup tied. Ah, right, okay. So yeah, a third choice keeper coming in, um, but just you know, nine men obviously would have been much harder to, to get get back into the game but anyway then then uh, Dyche smashes his penalty in and it's, it's 2-0 with half an hour to go but again David another sort of fairly cool I mean a bit more passionate celebration but Dyche didn't go crazy uh, you know as you diving into the fans or, or anything like that very different to that third goal of course which we'll get to in a minute so there seemed to be a I don't know. I don't want to read into it too much, but there was a concentration level there still with the Chelsea definitely, players. yeah. He and, and you know he was the leader, and he'll be thinking heads on, heads yeah, on, lads, <laughs> two nil up with what was it half an hour to go, something like that, and um, probably then the the emotion of the occasion, yeah, mm-hmm. became the concentration of the football match, and we can't lose this now from two nil. That you know they would have realised that with a man advantage as well. This is this is ours to lose. So probably that that little two nil that probably changes. Yeah, that, I mean that's the game management, isn't it, Jonathan? That from inexperienced players, you see how these things go. And, and four minutes later, and it's only four minutes later, it's, it's really don't, what they they didn't want. Ravenelli kind of sort of bundles one in to make it two one, and you see the lift that it gives the Middlesbrough fans, and you think, oh, hang on, there's still a lot to play for here. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm not really sure what what they what you should do. I don't know what the right thing to do is because mm. if they had just dropped off, I mean, they were playing very deep anyway. Mm-hmm. If they sort of abandoned any notions of, of trying to hit them on the counter, do you just invite waves and waves and waves of pressure that when you've got players like Janino and Ravinelli against you, inevitably that will produce goals? I think probably you do still have to offer something of a threat. Mm-hmm. But it is slightly odd that they do... It's, it's, it's not quite a counter-attack, but it is sort of a break that... I think Janino bursts forward and then lays in Clayton Blackmore down the left. He's got loads of space. 
to put in the cross for mm. Ravinelli. And you sort of think, could could they have protected that a bit more? But yeah, I, I think it's very easy to say in hindsight. Because what then happens, of course, is they, they should have got the third. Well, yeah. that, that, that by carrying on attacking, they actually create the opportunity. They actually score the goal that should have put them through. Uh, with Howard's shot, you know, turns in the box, hits the shot, hits the bar, bounces down, comes out. And the thing I can't work out about that is the linesman does flag. He runs back to the halfway line. But I can't work out what he's... You know, Ellery seems to think he must be flagging for an offside or a push or something, but mm. there's nothing he could have been flagging for there other than the goal. Well, I mean, it was a strange one, David. I mean, people saying the, the linesman ran back as if he was running back to the halfway line to signal the goal, but then Ellery overrules that. If if indeed that's what the linesman was doing and, and didn't give the goal, it was it was mayhem for a sort of m- few moments in that. Was uh, was there an element on, on his position as well? Was he actually on the line, the the linesman, or was he further up the pitch? No, he's slightly further up the pitch because he was level with the last man. So he's right. I guess yeah. eight yards maybe from the line. So he's, he's, he's guessing anyway, isn't he? Mm-hmm. To up to a point, but he still has the. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that. I mean, Howard, I think, has said his view was blocked by Roberts. He couldn't quite see. So he goes for the rebound. Um, I think it's Jamie Hewitt who celebrates. I think he's the only one who celebrates. Um, and Ellery is sort of to the left of the box. I don't know if it was a player in his way. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, the lines is not in a perfect position. But I still think he's probably in a, in a not too bad position. I mean, eight, eight yards off the line, mm-hmm. you can probably still... In the same way the cricket umpires now don't stand level with the popping crease but stand level with the stumps because of where fielders tend to stand and you sort of think the angle is, is shallow enough that you still get a better better um, view of that than uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, I, I think he I don't know, I think the linesman probably is the one who should be making that call. Yeah. But that was the great we was Rob moment. Yes. Yeah. And and that was the you know generated so much copy after after that the days after that and and John Howard uh, I did see I had a, a Google of him recently and he said that he bumped into David Ellery at a game soon afterwards or, or years afterwards probably more likely and David Ellery had actually apologised he'd introduced himself say I scored the goal at, at at Old Trafford and David Ellery had apologised for it admitted he got it wrong apparently. Mm. If David Ellery had ever admitted that he got something wrong, then I'd like to be there to hear it. So. <laughs> it's very much an unofficial line from from David Ellery. Yes, uh, I mean, yeah, but again, go go back again. Looking at the, looking at this match, you know, that sort of fifteen sixteen minute period when Chesterfield go one up to to the penalty that Middlesbrough get. I mean, this is why this is for my money one of the great FA Cup games. That yes. period in the game. Seldom do you get such drama and such uh, excitement in a game of football, David. I was just thinking, can you imagine what it would be like? I don't know if you, either of you were old enough or, or interested enough to be watching it you know, live on television at the time. Yeah, very it, much so, yeah. It must have been just an extraordinary experience because I, I suppose, as we said before, everybody was rooting for Chesterfield as mm-hmm. the underdog. And then to live all these key moments with them, from the red card to getting two 0 up, and then having being pegged back, and you think, "Oh no, it's that's going to happen." And then, and then this moment where you think, "Finally, they're going to, you know, they're going to seal the victory," and then for that to be snatched away, I suppose then you're thinking, "Oh well, now it's it's mm. the inevitable is going to happen," and and of course it did. Yeah, I mean the the way the penalty is won 
Jonathan, Janino scampers down the right and, and Sean Dyche is coming across. Yeah. And, and looking at the highlights back, I remember thinking to myself, you know, was there contact? Was there not? The referee was always going to give that one. There's definitely contact. Uh, it's contact, it's yeah. Definitely yeah. contact. It was a wrestling move. Yeah. I mean, but, again, if, if, you were, if you were told there's a penalty in this game and one of the players is Janino and one of the players is Sean Dyche, just picture that. That's yes. what happened. Uh-huh. A meeting of bodies. You but could but say. what I liked about it, having watched the highlights back, was that was the the protest from Deitch. Mm. You see that same protest every single yeah. week in the Premier League. In the yeah. same body language, the same gesticulation. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. It's, it's I think he's, classic I think he's still Deitch. he's protesting still after the penalty's been put in. Yes, and they're and they're putting the ball back on the centre circle. I mean, yeah. it wasn't a convincing penalty from from Hignett. The goalkeeper kind of got a bit of something on it, but it was two all and. And again, one can forget that Middlesbrough were down to ten men because you think, oh well, this is obviously a foregone conclusion now. That the, the the better side, the the the, the Premier League or Premiership side uh, has has equalised, but they were still down to ten, and it, it would go into extra time. But the game just sort of kept going on and on. David, I mean, what was the feeling among? Well, I suppose you in the were you in the press box? Did yes, you say? I was, yeah, I was watching the press box, and I think it was it was can we get a replay at this point? Right. Okay. No, very um, much, very much that. Can can we can we can Chesterfield uh, <laughs> take this to another match at least. Cause I think any hope of Chesterfield scoring again at that point had probably disintegrated. And it was really a case mm-hmm. of, you know, everyone was exhausted watching it. And I think you could see the players were, were pretty mm-hmm. much on their last legs. Yeah. And we're going to extra time, Jonathan and, and uh, uh, Middlesbrough get their chance. What was it? Five minutes into the second half of extra time when there's a bit of a goal mouth scramble, the, the ball smashed against the bar and, and Fester picks up the ball. And to be fair to him, not, not, the, the, not the, the archetypal defender finisher where he smashes it into the roof of the net. Well, I suppose you could say actually it was, it was as if he was trying to clear the ball, but it was a great finish nonetheless. Well, and the other odd thing about that is I think it's Steve Bickers who hits the bar as well. It's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's Ravinelli. I mean, Ravinelli assists for Steve Bickers. That doesn't make any sense <laughs> on any level. That's um, what didn't happen. And then, well, yeah. And then as the ball comes off the bar, you've got Janino attempting a, a sort of header. diving header. <laughs> yes. But it, his, his legs have just, his weight's in completely the wrong place. It's, mm. it's like the most pathetic dive as, mm. he, as he fails to get there. But yeah, it, it falls for Fester who, who smashes it in. And at that yeah. point, I guess you think, well, you know, well done, Chesterfield. You've had your fun and, and yeah. it's all over. Yeah, I mean, that's what it felt like watching it. And the way Middlesbrough celebrated, it's kind of like, yeah, they're off. Um, and and to, we can't forget that Middlesbrough, I don't think, had ever been in an FA Cup final either. So unfortunately for them, any kind of romance or fairy tale was very much taken from them by Chesterfield. Uh, but on the day, uh, they'd have to wait because nine minutes later, David, the ball gets sort of thumped into the box and, and Jamie Hewitt beautifully guides his header into the corner to make it three all, and it's then absolute pandemonium. I mean, what was it like for you in the press box when that got? Yeah, pandemonium. Yeah, yeah, yeah desks and desks and papers <laughs> going everywhere. Uh, extraordinary. You know, it was a really deep cross, wasn't it? I think it was Beaumont that crossed it, and Beaumont had been the the guy that scored the 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 only goal against Wrexham in the quarterfinal to get them there. And you know, very much, I, I would have, you know, off the top of my head a little bit, very much a jobbing sort of lower league footballer, bit nippy. Um, I think he went on to be a teacher, uh, but but hits this really deep cross. And funny enough, two years earlier, Chesterfield had been in the playoff final there and and won to get into League One, and they scored a very similar goal to this one at Wembley uh, to get them promotion. And and there's Jamie Hewitt, who I don't remember him having a shot before. 
was suddenly appeared at the back post and, and you know leapt and got this. And I think he's probably one of the only lads from Chesterfield in the team as well. There might have been two or three, but he was he was one of them. So it was a really lovely moment for him. And you know this awful if Andy Morris's celebration was cool, then his was was not <laughs> by any stretch. And this is mass pylon. Uh, you know, in, on the in front of the fans, was it the Chesterfield fans? I think, I think it, was, it might have been the it? middle. Oh, I think it was at the Middlesbrough end, maybe. Yeah, I think it was at the Middlesbrough end because was it the, the dice, end? but dice penalties in front of the Chesterfield fans, and this is at the other end. So, yeah, I'm confused by the extra time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, anyway, this this amazing celebration, and in the middle of it, you see John Duncan on the sideline. The camera sort of cuts to him, and his glasses get smashed off his <laughs> face. And, and I remember we did a follow up story with Specsavers in the town who gave him free glasses, <laughs> free glasses for the rest of the season or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, classic local paper story. And, yeah. But he was t- he's trying to get orders on at that point. Although what he's saying to them, I don't know, because they were so deep, you know, defensively at the other end. Anyway, it was it was a miracle that they managed to 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 do this with their sort of the final dregs mm. of energy that they had. Yeah, I mean, it shows you, doesn't it, Jonathan? Just looking at the different celebrations, you know, when 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 Morris scores, yeah, very very cool celebration, as we say, which perhaps defied the 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 feeling, you know, among the Chesterfield fans. Then Dyche scores again, but it's all about you know calm, you know, stay focused on them. When this goal get it gets scored, it is like a winning goal. It's like, oh my goodness, we're saved. Yeah, absolutely, and and I guess fans who aren't used to that level of emotion. Yeah, um, and I guess fans who aren't actually used to being in the ground, yeah, you know, the fact that there's twenty five thousand there as opposed to a five thousand average attendance, um, and it, it, yeah, it's it, it's something you see very very rarely. The the and it is still the beautiful thing about the FA Cup, the 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 total disbelief in the celebration. Um, you know, not just people who are happy or relieved, genuinely cannot believe what's going on. Um, and then, of course, reality strikes and we lose and we play 3-0. But... <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the next chapter. Forget that one. But I think as football, <laughs> as football fans, you deal in moments, don't you? Exactly. And that, that moment, you would give a huge amount to have. So, so for example, as a Sunderland fan, the, the Carabao Cup final 2014, I, I was quite happy at halftime. I could have left at halftime. Didn't care what happened next because Sunderland could, had, had scored a goal. I didn't could expect have left after 10 minutes. Found, yeah, you know, this amazing Barini goal and, and then you at halftime you're thinking, well, we can't, can we? And they actually go, no, you can't. If you're playing Manchester yeah. City, you can't. Yeah. And, yeah. and quite rightly, we couldn't. But but for the Chesterfield fans and this greater population from Chesterfield who'd come to this game and all the neutrals watching at home, you'd had the, the red card, you'd had the, the 1-0, the, the penalty award, the penalty goal, then all the pain of the, the goals you conceded and you think it's it's dead and buried. And then you get this extra... Final moment is is your Saturday afternoon or whatever the, this game was being played becomes a becomes an evening because mm-hmm. you've been watching the game for so long as it drags into extra time. Just absolute ecstasy! One of the most incredible moments I've experienced in a football stadium. Hmm. I think we'll leave it on that note, David, because I couldn't uh, possibly add to it. Thank you very much, though, for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this because, yes, it did remind me of, of one of the great FA Cup ties that certainly that I can remember watching. And as I said, I can't stress up the excitement that this game threw up. And it, and it was great that that goal at the end went in because even though it wasn't a winning goal, it, it bloody well felt like one, certainly for yeah, those Chesterfield absolutely, fans. absolutely. And we'll, we'll come back next week and do the replay, shall we? There you go, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Might not take as long, that one. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. For more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Um, but for myself, Jonathan and David, thanks very much. Jonathan and I will be back next week with another great game from the history of football. See you then. Thank you.